Hi, guys. This is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Kate. And I'm Melanie, and we are very excited to have Valentino Deng joining us today. Valentino Deng is a political leader and education advocate, and over the past decade, he has shared his story of life as a Sudanese refugee the world over through speeches, a book written with American author Dave Eggers, and through his work founding the VAD Foundation to promote educational access in South Sudan. While spending nine years in Ethiopian and Kenyan refugee camps during the Second Sudanese Civil War, he began his career in public service as a social advocate and reproductive health educator for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. He is currently the Minister of Education for one of the 10 states in South Sudan, a position which charges him with overseeing more than 800 state-run schools in addition to the VAD Foundation private secondary schools. Thank you so much for joining us today, Valentino. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely. So one of the most interesting things we've heard from other speakers on our show is this concept of inflection points or times when you had to pivot in your personal professional life. Would you be able to, to share some of your own inflection points with us? Uh, yes, although I might not be able to uh, mention all of them because I've had uh, quite a busy life growing up. Uh, but uh, my impact in my life was when I had the opportunity uh, to resettle in the United States because I had uh, uh, I was displaced in Sudan and I went to a refugee camps and the conflict in my country took a long time before it was ended. So I became a young adult while in exile and I wanted uh, an opportunity to be able to grow, to be able to look for uh think and do things on my own and when uh, that opportunity came to resettle in the United States it was a turning point. That's wonderful. So one of the things that we've heard you and other people talk about including several of the lost uh, boys of Sudan is the problems with assimilation and how difficult that really is a lot of times for refugees whether it's in the United States or other European countries that might not always be super welcoming to refugees. How did you deal with assimilation and what ways can that be better dealt with in the future with all the current refugees crisis going on around the world? I found it very easy to assimilate to the American uh, society uh, first of all, I came already knowing how to speak English. I had the advantage of going to school in Kenya, which is, which has English as a language of instruction. Uh, in that time, maybe I struggled with a bit of southern accent in Atlanta, but it was very minimal uh, challenge to have. But uh, I was very welcomed in the south. You know, I'm a Christian, and I came here uh, looking forward to meet with people, people that I know and people that I didn't know. And it was very easy to be, to, to, to get used to the American people in Atlanta. I made a lot of friends very, very quickly. And I think that, that, that was very successful. The other challenges I had was also getting used to life. I came from a background where I had no access to modern technology in terms of education, in terms of uh, just social life, things that you use, big market, malls, jobs. Uh, that was uh, a bit challenging, but I also approached it with a positive attitude and I learned quite easily and 
fast. And so after spending so much time in the United States and assimilating to the culture and starting a new life for yourself, what made you decide that it was finally time to go back to your village and um, reconnect with the family and past that you'd left behind? Well, I, I am a revolutionary child in South Sudan. I was born during the conflict and my people were struggling for their independence. So one of the opportunities I was always looking forward to growing up is the ability to be able to go back to my society and make changes. When I came to the United States, uh, I had jobs, I went to school, I made friends, I went on to... Uh, have a book written about my life, which became a, a bestseller, and there was some cash with it, there was some attention with it. We started the VAD Foundation, and with that, I committed to returning home to help provide access to quality education in South Sudan. So uh, that was uh, something I had in mind to do and only was holding because I had no resources to be able to impact changes. When the books and the access and my life in the U.S. made that opportunity uh, possible, I couldn't wait. I couldn't pretend that all was good back in South Sudan and just stay in the U.S. and pretend like any other young man uh, on the street who may think nothing is happening to their country, but they know that they need it to help. And I'm curious, as someone interested in education reform myself, when you did have um, the money from the VAD Foundation and the opportunity to start a school from scratch, how has that differed from your experience as an education minister, you know, dealing with schools that have already been built and you don't have as much of an ability to start from square one and create a whole school. In your image, you have to deal with schools that face existing challenges and an established presence in the country. Well, at the VAD foundations, we, we planned, we budget, and we execute our plans accordingly. So we, we could tell exactly what we want to do and how we want to arrive at that result. Uh, when I became a minister of education, the, it was a bigger portfolio. I was in charge of more than 875 schools, both elementary and secondary schools, uh, each with needs, basic needs like uh, shelters, like uh, stationaries, like uh, uh, access to school, roads, and just locating them. I also uh, was in charge of more than 5,000 teachers, uh, each with a lot of needs, small salaries, uh, sometimes inadequate uh, learning facilities. And uh, it was uh, an enormous task. You, know, you also had to deal with the communities. You also had to deal with... Uh, policies that the government have. You also have to make sure that the kind of education you provide is a knowledge-based education where kids learn. So these teachers have to be trained. These teachers have to be given refreshment courses. 
to prepare them. And many of these teachers were not qualified enough. On the student side, you have a lot of challenges and a lot of success. And I led a number of students who were very eager to learn, very disciplined to learn, but their resources were not quite enough. So that portfolio was very challenging and very exciting. Uh, for me as a state minister, doing that was amazing. But it was not uh, similar to running our projects at the VAD Foundation that we know quite well, we plan well. The other thing is you go out of your zones. You have people demanding things you don't have and you have to go out to people to be with them, to belong to them, to understand them and help them. So it was a different roles. One of the other really interesting things you've talked about a lot with both your foundation and your role as a public administrator is the gender gap in education. So you've yeah. said that you want 50% of enrollment to be women. How do you go about getting making that happen when there is sometimes a bias of not having women be educated or women are needed for labor in the home? How do you make that happen and make that a reality? Uh, it was, uh, we, we succeeded with that programs at our schools at the foundation level because we manage schools that provided services that kids don't find in public schools. So with those services, we were able to attract a good number of girls. We were able to convince parents that our learning environment are conducive for their children to learn. And we provide boarding schools facilities. Uh, with public schools, it was a bit different. Uh, sometimes kids have to be attending day schools and many of the female students have to do a lot of household duties. They were expected to pound grains in the morning. They were expected to fish water in the morning. They were expected to help younger children or help the family before they go to school and they go to school late. The same thing is expected out of them. During day, they have to leave school early to go work at home. And, and that affected uh, 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 girls' educations and their ability to learn, their ability to have an up, their uh, to their ability to have an ample time to study. So, with public schools, you have challenges. With uh, privately run schools, like we do, is different. We turn to target those challenges and mitigate them. At public school level, you're dealing with bigger number of students and a population. And it's challenging to enforce changes that you would want to have at the school. And so on the topic of all of these levels that you're kind of trying to combat existing issues and create changes, tonight you'll be discussing South Sudan's efforts to create economic stabilities for its citizens, um, even in the midst of such political instability. And so we're curious, how do you see yourself personally fitting into such a big mission? Um, and how do you think for yourself? Like, how do you know when your work will be done? You see, this is uh, about the people I love so much. It's not even about, I'm not a politician, to be honest with you. 
So, you know, I went into the government because I'm a social worker. I provided services that uh, uh, people want and they see me as one of the, the, the young people who have the ability to help uh, bring uh, some kind of functional transformation. Uh, I told you before that I'm a revolutionary child and when things are up in front of you, you don't wait. When a new opportunity presents itself, you have to face the challenges at work. So what is happening in South Sudan is uh, is unfortunate. There's a conflict that should never have been there in the first place. But some folks uh, thought they would grab power by coup or by uh, fighting and overcoming one another, which was very unfortunate for the population. Uh, right now, that, that conflict is coming to an end. Uh, people have learned their lessons and things are uh, getting better. People are coming together at a round table to negotiate, to understand, to compromise and to bring about uh, a peace and a stability in the country. Following up then on Melanie's question, since you say that South Sudan is moving to this peace and is trying to get to a much better place, what do you think the future of South Sudan looks like in this world order and with all the conflict that is going on in that region and how to really make it long-term a successful place and a peaceful place? Uh, it's a very beautiful country. It's a country that is blessed with abundant natural resources, different kind of minerals, and amazing wildlife. The country is crossed by the great Nile River with its many tributaries, swamps, a lot of uh, grasslands, a lot of uh, fertile land, a lot of rainfalls. Uh, the future of South Sudan is going to depend on whether or not we build, build a transformational infrastructure good enough to provide access, good enough to give people the opportunity to exploit their agricultural potential, to exploit, you know, uh, all kind of things needed for development. It's a small country, smaller population. It has oil resources. So there is a lot South Sudan can gain if there is no conflict. I see a very successful, very stable uh, South Sudan in the future. Uh, it's a country with very rare resources and advantages in that region. And um, before you go, we wanted to ask you a final question that we like to pose to all of our guests, which is, what is your personal definition of success? And uh, what advice would you have for college students in um, coming to terms with their own definitions of success? Uh, for me, success is not basically having everything easy on your plate. I think success is having positive attitudes on challenges that life brings to you and working hard to overcome them. Nobody succeeds when they find everything easy on their way. You know, yes, there are people who are fortunate enough to have the privileges to to inherit or acquire things that others have worked hard for. But even so, if you don't work hard, you can lose what you have. So success to me is the ability to stay positive, to conquer challenges, 
and gain success in spite of those challenges. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you again very much for joining us today, Valentino. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time and the opportunity. Absolutely. And to all the listeners out there, remember to stay hungry. Uh, thank you. <laughs>